Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Um, last night, for those of you who were here, it was truly just such a special night where we got to join with Riverside Kashkaj as well. Some of them came over and we got to worship. Um, it, it was one of those nights where you just didn't want it to end. You just wanted the music to keep going and going. Um, Angela, the worship leader, kept looking at me like, hey, if you don't stop me, I'm going to keep going. And I was like, I'm not stopping you. <laughs> Um, but it was a really, really good time. This morning we're doing things differently, uh, um, a little bit different than usual. We'll worship after the message some more. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna start a new series this morning. And I wanna preach a message this morning that I hope will be a simple message. And I just felt as we were worshiping, I just felt to tell you that I really open up your heart as if this message is to you. Sometimes the preacher may start preaching and, and we kind of go, oh, that's, that's not really what I'm going through. That's not really for me. Maybe it's for somebody else. And I, I want to challenge you. Take this message in for you. Because it's the word of God. And the Bible says that the word of God is there to encourage. It's there to exhort. It's there to rebuke. It's there to teach. It's there to do so many things. And so let the word speak to you this morning. So this new series that we're calling is called Face to Face. And I've often heard so many people say how if I could only get two minutes with Jesus, two minutes of uninterrupted time with Jesus, just face to face, if I could just ask him all my questions and put before him all my doubts, then maybe I would believe him. Then maybe I would trust him with my life. And while I don't know if you'll have that privilege, at least in this life, to sit physically face-to-face -face with Jesus, I do know that the Bible is filled with encounters of men and women that had this privilege. Men and women who were just like you and I. Yes, a very different historical context, but men and women who had families, who had jobs, who had concerns and struggles, men and women who had dreams for their futures, men and women who had needs, very real needs like you and I have. And so in this series, we're going to go through these encounters. We're going to explore these one-on-one -on -one conversations that Jesus had with these people. And I believe that each of us in this room will be able to relate to these men and women in some way or another. And as we go through these encounters, I, I want you to really put yourself in their shoes. Imagine if you were this man, this woman, standing face to face with Jesus. Because I really believe that as you do that, maybe you'll just get your encounter with Jesus too. So this morning, we're going to start with a man named Nicodemus. Who's heard of Nicodemus? A few of us. And um, we read about this conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus in the book of John, chapter 3. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the most famous, most popular, most tweeted and Instagrammed verse, most printed on t-shirts verse, what would you say it is? John 3.16. Can we say it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You may not know any other verse by heart, but we know this one. <laughs> and I find it interesting that this verse, 
that we all know this verse that is so powerful that we find in the Bible. It wasn't a verse that Jesus preached. It wasn't a verse that Jesus taught in front of thousands of people. It wasn't a verse that he taught on the Sermon on the Mount when thousands of people were watching. This was a verse that he told a man in a conversation. This was a verse that in a conversation with Nicodemus, he told him this truth that we all know by heart today. These incredibly powerful words were said just in a conversation. And we're going to read something that theologian and scholar Charles Spurgeon says. He says about this book, If we were asked to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter, John chapter 3, as the most suitable one for such an occasion. And what is good for a dying man is good for us all, for that is what we are. And how soon we may be actually at the gates of death, none of us can tell. See, Spurgeon says, if someone was dying and you wanted them to know about Jesus before they die, you wanted them to know how much Jesus loves them, you wanted them to know the, the power of salvation and the hope of eternal life, then this is probably the chapter that you should have them read. This is probably the chapter that, that you should have them go through. And then he says, but listen, what's good for a dying man is good for us all. See, I see so many people living in utmost fear of COVID-19. And while we should be responsible, I see so many people doing everything they can and staying away from everything that threatens because they want to protect themselves from this virus. They're trying to save their lives and, and, and yet none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And this is going to sound really morbid right now, but if it's not the virus, it could be a bus. And if it's not a bus, it could be cancer. And so today I, I want to read this chapter and I want to go into this conversation in John chapter 3 as if we are dying men who need to know the hope of salvation. I want to go through this message today with a sense of urgency. Open up your hearts to this chapter that we might know the hope of eternal life, that we might know how much Jesus truly cares and loves us. And so let's start. Let's start this book. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let's stop there. Can any of you relate to this guy? The Bible says that he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And, and we don't know if he went at night because he just didn't want other people to see him or to know that he was going to talk to Jesus. Or maybe he went at night because he wanted Jesus' full attention. He didn't want to share him with the crowds or with anybody else. We don't know why he went at night. But the first thing that he essentially tells Jesus when he arrives and he has a face-to-face -face encounter with him, he says, Jesus, I, I believe you. I, I believe that God is with you. I've seen the things that you've done. I, I believe you. And we read in John chapter 2, just a chapter before. Now, while he was in Jerusalem, he was talking about Jesus, at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. 
And maybe some of you can relate to that. You've been coming to church, and it's a place where you feel good. And it's a place where maybe you've, you've encountered a love like you haven't seen outside of church. And, and maybe you've even felt something in your heart during a song or during a message, and you don't know quite what it is, but, but like Nicodemus, you can agree that there is something special about Jesus. Maybe you can even agree that God exists, and yet you have so many questions. You have so many doubts. And yet no matter how long I go on speaking for today, the gospel still doesn't really make sense to you. And even though Nicodemus was a religious leader, even though he knew much of the Old Testament by heart, at this point, he didn't really understand either. And so Jesus replies to him this way. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's kind of an odd answer for a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. But to understand what Jesus meant, it, it helps us to know who Nicodemus was. As I've mentioned, he was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish High, Coun High Council, which was the Sanhedrin. It was kind of like the Supreme Court of Israel at the time. And today, when we hear the word Pharisee, we immediately associate this word with arrogance, with foolishness, with hypocrisy. We think of these old men who are, who are just super arrogant and, and patronizing. But at the time, Pharisees were not viewed this way. Not all of them, at least. Pharisees were scholars. They were extremely dedicated to doing good. People saw them as figures who were doing their utmost to follow the law of God. They were zealous about God. If there was anyone righteous and deserving of heaven, it was Nicodemus. And if we could, we could have more people present in this conversation that would have been up to par in religiosity with Nicodemus, maybe the Catholics would elect Mother Teresa. Maybe the evangelicals would say, yeah, Billy Graham should be in that conversation. Maybe the Muslims would, would vote on, on a religious imam who, who is much admired. Maybe the Dalai Lama would join this conversation. He was a religious man. He was a good man with authority, with influence, with status. And so often I hear people say, if they could only see a miracle, then they would believe just like Nicodemus. But here is one of the great dangers of signs and wonders. You don't need a new heart to be amazed by them. Nicodemus knew the law. He followed the rules. He saw the signs, and he believed that God was with Jesus. He believed that there was something special about Jesus, and maybe you do too. But here's the thing. Jesus tells Nicodemus, in order to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. Jesus is not looking to impress us. Jesus is not looking to be impressed by us. Jesus is looking to change us. He's looking to radically transform us from the inside out. So much so that he says, you're, you're not okay just the way you are. You need to be born again altogether. And we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. What happens when we're reborn is not just an improvement 
of our old human nature, but it's the creation of a whole new nature, a nature that is really you and is forgiven and is cleansed, and a nature that is really new and is being formed in you by the Spirit of God. And as a Jew, Nicodemus would have understood the kingdom of heaven to be something of the future. How one day God would gloriously redeem Israel and restore the world and establish his rule and reign. And a few months ago, we did a message series on the kingdom of God. And we learned that the Bible tells us that, yes, the kingdom of God is something in the future, but it is also here and now. And that because of Jesus, because the power of salvation and the supernatural spirit of God that lives inside of us, God wants to reign in our hearts today. God wants to reign in our families. God wants to reign in our workplaces. God wants to reign over your life and restore you and change you and transform you and take away the old and establish something new. He wants to clean us and bring something new in our hearts. And not only did Nicodemus think that the kingdom of heaven was something limited to the future, but he also thought that because he was a Jew, he automatically qualified. Not only was he a Jew, but he was a really good Jew. He lived a good life. And yet Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And I think that's good news for us. I think that'll bring many of us relief this morning. That if Nicodemus, the most religious man, the most righteous man, if he needs to be born again, then so do we. If he didn't qualify, then neither do we. Being reborn in Christ, being born again in Jesus, is not about a call to be more religious. It's not a call to, to do more good because somehow the more good you do, the more you will please God. It's not about uh, coming to church more often so that God will be pleased with your religious checklist. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says it's, it's about your heart. That no matter how good you think you are, you need to be reborn. That no matter how broken and messed up you think you are, you can be reborn. You can start over in Jesus Christ. So what happens when we're reborn? What happens when we're born? First, we, expense, we experience our senses fully. A baby is born, and now they can truly feel and truly hear and taste and touch. I'm missing one of the senses, but it's okay. You can hear. And I know that these senses, they, they can be partially experienced in the womb. But when we're born, we experience these senses fully. Same thing happens when we're born in Christ. And I, I remember the day that I was born again in Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home and I heard Bible stories. I knew about Jesus. I knew the songs. But it's like one day the lights turned on. One day the cross made sense to me. I always knew that God loved me, but that day, that day I felt it. In the same way that Teresa was saying that last night she felt it. And that day I wept. 
I remember I was sitting under a tree and I was just crying and crying because I understood. It's like the eyes of my heart were open. I understood how much I needed God and that I would never be enough without him. I needed the love of Jesus to do something in my life. And here's the thing. I was seven years old and I was weeping. There's something crazy about that. I was seven years old and I understood what the cross meant. I was so overwhelmed by God's love for me. And I remember that day my dad had shared earlier, we were at this event and my dad had been speaking to people about his story. And my dad comes from an abusive home. He was doing drugs, sex, all of that kind of life. And I remember just hearing my dad speak about what he was and I, I thinking, but that's not the dad I know. That's not the man I know. The man I know is loving, and the man I know cares for me and my sister so much. And just seeing what he was talking about, the old, and now seeing, but this is what Jesus did in his life. And that day, the lights turned on. Man, this is the power of Jesus in our lives. And I understood. And so today, I pray that if the love of Jesus is something that's still abstract to you, I pray that you too will be reborn and that you will experience it for yourself. And the second thing that happens when you're born is you receive an identity. Babies are born into families. And in the same way the Bible says in 1 John, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but born of God. And so when we're born again, we're born into a new family. The Bible says that we're born into the family of Christ. We receive a new identity altogether. And I could preach a whole sermon on how beautiful this new identity is, but I don't quite have the time. But I found it interesting, and I was, as I was studying for this message this week, I found it interesting how this verse captures both Eastern and Western cultures quite well. Most of, or many of you will know better than me that in Eastern cultures, our identity is very tied to family. It's very tied to the family name or the family status or reputation. And, and so your identity is very based on your, how good you are is based on how good of a son you are or a daughter. It's based on respecting your elders, caring for your family. And with that, it's also about respecting their wishes and their expectations for you. And while there is so much good to this culture, it's also a lot of pressure. It's also a lot of pressure to meet expectations and, and not to fail and not to disappoint anyone. And then in the Western culture, we, we live in a very individualistic culture. This is where I grew up. And so your identity is very much about you and who, what I want to do, and who I want to be. And while this is also has its good sides, it's also a lot of pressure not to fail, to make something of myself, to be successful somehow in the eyes of others, not to disappoint anyone. And yet in John we read that our identity in Christ 
Children born not of natural descent. We become children of God, not, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but born of God. Our identity in Christ, it, it's received, it's not achieved. It's not about the country you grew up in, or the color of your skin, or which family you were born into. And it's also not about human decision. It's not about the things that you can do to reach God, the things that you can do to climb up a ladder. No, God says, I'm giving you a new identity. I give it to you. Rights to be children of God. So how can you be reborn? Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be reborn. And he reacts with a predictable question that all of us have asked at some point, if you're not asking it right now. Well, how does that work? How can I be reborn? We read later in in John 3, verse 4 through 8, He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, I don't think that Nicodemus was being ignorant in this question. He was a teacher. He was a pretty intelligent guy. I don't think he was literally asking Jesus, how can I physically be reborn? No, I think Nicodemus understood what Jesus was trying to say. That, that we have to, we have to be reborn as we are. We're just, we're not good enough to save ourselves and that we need a fresh start. That we need a different origin altogether. I think he understood that. Rather, he was asking Jesus, how can someone change themselves so radically? How can, how can someone who has lived, Nicodemus was older, we know that. So he's asking Jesus, how can someone like me, who has lived a whole life, acted a certain way, believed a certain way, thought a certain way, how can they suddenly transform themselves into a new identity? And so Jesus replies to him and he, he explains a little more what it means to be reborn. He says, you must be born of water and of spirit. And if that was your answer today, if I just left it at that, <laughs> I think we would still be very confused with what Jesus is trying to say. But Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. And that means that he knew the scriptures. He had studied the Old Testament extensively. He knew the prophecies. And because we read the rest of the book of John, we know that Jesus was probably referring to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. And he would have expected Nicodemus to know what he was referring to. It says in Ezekiel, this prophecy that was given 600 years before Jesus, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put in you and put a new spirit in you. I will renew from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Isn't this incredible? Jesus was referring to a prophecy six centuries before. Being reborn is not something we can do for ourselves. It is God who brings rebirth. It is God who gives us a new identity. 
It's God who opens our hearts to understand his love for us. It's God who can take away our pain and take away our hurt. It's God who, who like with water, he comes and he cleanses us from all the impurities, from all the damage that maybe the world has done to you, from all the pain that maybe other people have caused in you, from all the guilt that your own decisions have brought into your heart. It is God who comes and like water, he cleanses your heart. And it is God by the Spirit that comes and he creates change in our lives. It's God who, who breaks our addictions, breaks our negative patterns of thinking. It's God who creates a new person in us, who puts a new will in us, new desires in us, new dreams in us, that they may be aligned with him and his kingdom. It's God who places a new love in us for God and for others and a new love even for ourselves. We can't bring about our own rebirth. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, most religions are all about what humanity can do to get to God. In Islam, you have five different pillars, and, and some of you will know better than me. You have the Shahada, Declaration of Faith. You have the Zakat, the Salah, the Saum. Am I missing one? Who's paying attention? I'll find it. <laughs> Hajj, the pilgrimage. And then in Hinduism, a person's greatest pursuit is to achieve Dharma. It's to achieve a high place of morality where you're such a good person that your soul somehow unites with Brahman. And yet in this conversation with Jesus, Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's telling you today, it's not about you coming to me. And this is what Don was speaking about before. Jesus is saying, it's not about you coming to me. I, the Son of God, have come to you. I came to you. John 3.16, and this is where he tells Nicodemus, For God so loved the world. For God so loved you, Nicodemus. For God so loved you, Yeva. For God so loved you, Jamil. For God so loved you, Julia. You, Peter. You, Don. You, Michael. For God so loved the world. All the really religious and, and good people. And all the really broken and messed up people, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. They don't have to live in separation from God. You don't have to live by yourself. You don't have to live alone trying to figure out your life, trying to meet expectations, trying to make something of yourself. No, they shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Have freedom in Jesus. Live in his abundant love for us. Now, I was listening to a message this week by Tim Keller, and he was talking about a friend of his. And she says that she grew up in church. And so she felt pretty good about herself. She was a pretty good person. When she would weigh her good with her bad, her good would outweigh the bad. And so she felt pretty good about herself, especially when she compared herself to other people out there. So she, she felt good about herself. Her identity was based on her morality. But soon enough, she says that she started to, 
feel a little bit like very self-righteous and, and started to become a little arrogant. And then she says it was so much pressure to constantly be doing good and not letting anybody see her flaws and see the mistakes in her life. And so she says, you know what? Eventually, I, I just left the church. And then she says she started dating and, and found herself in, in different relationships. And, and, and so now she felt pretty good about herself because someone loved her. And there's a song, and, and maybe you'll know it's by Dean Martin, I think, but Frank Sinatra has, has done different versions of it, and lots of people have done. Um, and, and the song is called, You're Nobody Till Somebody Loves You. And so she thought, well, now I'm somebody. As long as I have a man around me, as long as somebody to hold my hand and to care about me, then I'm somebody. But eventually, she says that she found herself in, in bad relationships, in abusive relationships that she just couldn't get out of because she thought, well, I'm nobody unless somebody loves me. And, and so she just, that was her identity, was based on somebody loving her. And then her friends came around and said, listen, honey, <laughs> you need to be liberated. You need to break free. You don't need a man to make you happy. You, you need to be successful. You need to be an independent woman who is proud of her achievements. And so she thought, yeah, that, that's what I need. She got an education. She got a career. She went after it. But then she says that as good as she felt, she felt good being successful, but, be, but she said every challenge that she would face in her career made her feel as broken as she did when she would break up with a man. And so although she felt good as a, as a successful woman, her identity was still so fragile. It was still not safe. Her heart wasn't safe. And so her friends came around and said, you're so busy with work. You, you just need to, you need to start caring about others and not just yourself. You need to start loving others more. And so she, she said she got involved in all kinds of good deeds. She got working in all kinds of charities and she was helping women in prison and she was helping vulnerable children and, and, and poor um, communities of, of the city. And then she says, man, I just got so exhausted. I just got so tired. And finally she said, at first I thought I was somebody because I was moral. Then I thought I was somebody because I was beautiful. Then I thought I was somebody because I was successful. Then I thought I was somebody because I was helpful. And finally she found the gospel. And she could rest. She says, all this time my identities were based on me trying to perform, me trying to achieve. And finally, she read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He loves. He gives. And she said, finally, I could rest in an identity that is given to me by Jesus Christ. And it's not conditional upon circumstances or other people or my behavior or the decisions that I make. It's just, it's, there's an unconditionality to the love of Jesus that just made her finally rest. And so this morning, I want to ask you, have you found this identity? Have you been reborn? One thing is being labeled with the title of a Christian. In many countries, especially in the Middle East, your ID, your passport will say which religion you're from, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about a Christian label on your ID. He's talking about your heart. Have you opened up your heart? 
Have you been reborn? So how can you be reborn? Well, technically, the biblical answer is there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do. It's all about God doing it for us. But then we also read Jesus saying in Mark chapter 1, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And the good news is that we can be saved. The good news is that we don't need to work anymore. We don't want to, we don't need to live in this pressure. The good news is that God has done it for us and he's, he's standing with open arms. The Bible says he stands at the door of our hearts knocking and all we have to do is open that door. That's the good news. And in, in a way, conversion is what we do. We repent of our sins and we choose to believe in Jesus. But in another way, for this message to make any sense to you, for you to even have the, the desire, the slightest desire to open the door of your heart, it means God is already at work in your heart. It means God is already tugging at the, at the strings of your heart. See, repentance is not just, and I want to ask the worship team to come up. Repentance is not just about asking God to forgive us of our sins. We can do that over and over and over again. Repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done, and I'm sorry for all the bad reasons for the good things I've done trying to please others or trying to feel good about myself or trying to earn your approval somehow. Repentance is coming before God and saying, man, I need you. Everything else I've tried, all these other identities that I've tried to, to grasp for myself, just doesn't work. God, I need you. I keep trying to change myself. I keep trying to change my habits. I keep telling myself, no, no, no. Now I'm going to be a good person. Now I'm going to commit. Now I'm not going to mess up. And every time, somehow I fail. It's coming to God and saying, God, just do something new in me. How do you know you've been reborn? Transformation. Change. It's leaving the old behind and allowing God to bring the new. Seeing change in the way that you make decisions. Seeing change in the way that you view your life. Seeing change in the way that you see other people. No longer just based on their usefulness and their utility for you, but based on, no, they are children of God. Having this love for people that isn't of yourself, but it, it comes from God. Being born again is, is allowing God to do something new in my life. And I pray this morning, I pray that in the same way that that happened with me and it happened with Reuben and it happened with some others in this room, that the lights will turn on and that the cross will make sense to you. Because that's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. make things better how why would God send his only son to die on a cross and then three days later he raises again how does that fix anything I, I don't understand 2,000 years ago how that impacts my life it's just it doesn't make logical sense well I, I can't convince you of it but the Holy Spirit can he can explain he can make you understand 
and all of a sudden when you understand his love for you it's overwhelming and that's what I pray for you this morning it's not about being religious it's not about trying to be better it's about letting God come and change you and living the life that he intends for you living in the abundance that God intends for you and wants for you it's about trusting God with your future you don't have to be worried anymore about what job am I going to have what career am I going to have who am I going to marry when am I going to marry am I going to have children am I not going to have children are my children going to grow up are they going to be okay it's not we don't have to be anxious anymore when we're born in God and, and we can trust him now and say man in the same way that I was born into this world and I had nothing to do with it I didn't decide to come into this world in the same way that God had complete control over that God have complete control over my day today have complete control over the rest of my life and do whatever you want to do I trust you will you stand with us and we're gonna worship God open up your heart what you can do repent and believe and just watch as God does the rest